Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 45. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at Jonah's preaching, and look, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and look, something greater than Solomon is here. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest but doesn't find any. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house vacant, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits and more evil than itself. And they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. That's how it will be also be with this evil generation. This is the, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Some of you are there. That's great. Uh-oh. Am I in the right spot? A little ringing? Okay, I think we're all right. All right, let's start with prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you your word is living and active, and I pray, Lord, that uh, you would speak to us today through your word. I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We would participate in what you're trying to teach us today. Lord, we long to see you do great and wonderful things amongst us in our own hearts. So we ask you to do that today. Amen. Okay. When I was nine or ten, I... Was had an investment mindset, and I decided um, very smartly to to invest in baseball cards. Which, when I was nine or ten, it, you know, it would cost like twenty twenty dollars for a big thing, and now it's worth eighteen or something like that. <laughs> They've actually gone down in value, uh, much to my chagrin here. Uh, but I particularly collected cards of Nolan Ryan. Does anyone know who Nolan Ryan was? a few of you. He was a really great pitcher, could throw really fast, had a lot of no-hitters at the time. Very famous at the time, and um, sadly, most of you are too young to remember that, which is really sad for me right now. Anyway, um, dad and I, my dad and I went to a game once, and I was very excited. Nolan Ryan played for the Rangers. He did not pitch that game. I was very sad, but he came to the game, and I waited outside we waited for like 45 minutes to an hour, standing outside to get an autograph from Nolan Ryan. I was gonna be so excited, I was gonna show all my friends. And he came out, and I don't remember if he signed any. I think he just walked right by and got on the bus. And I, I was sad, I was devastated, I really thought this was gonna be the day that I was gonna get the signature. But what I came to realize, you know, 20 years later, is that I didn't really care about Nolan Ryan at all. 
I just cared about his signature, right? I only wanted what he could give me. I wanted him to write on a little card that had his name on it so I could go show all my friends and that my investment value in my baseball cards would go up. Didn't work. It reminds me of what we're gonna talk about today in Matthew. Let me, uh, let's talk about what, what has happened up to this point. So just recently, Jesus healed last week a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And the Pharisees were really not happy about that. So they started to name-calling, right? They called him a demon. They, they came up with, you know, you're, you're horrible. And, you know, they were clearly running out of ways to argue. Jesus completely dismantles their argument about him being uh, a demon. He just obliterates their story. So now they're going to take it to the next step. And we've all taken this step, right? Where we all say, prove it. You know, they don't want to listen to him. So they're like, okay, fine. I can't argue with you anymore. Just prove it. That's what he's going to do. They, they'd run out of options. And that's where we are at verse 38. So read with me. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, what, what they aren't saying is, oh, I really care about you, Jesus. Let's, I, let, tell, show me. No, they're saying, we want to see a sign from you. In the same way that I cared about Nolan Ryan, the crowds and then the Pharisees through trying to manipulate the crowds didn't really care about Jesus. They cared about a sign, which is mind-boggling. Do you not remember just like, Three verses earlier, there was a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and he healed them. He healed that person, right? And yet, I don't know how much time has passed, but not much. They say, show us a sign. He's like, did you not just see what I just did? But they were, they didn't want, they didn't want to believe him. The, the Pharisees had an inflated self, self sense of importance. They believed that Jesus was just an upstart teacher who needed to get out of the way, and they were willing to kill for it. But the crowds, the crowds liked what Jesus did. They liked the fact that he healed everybody. So they say, we want a sign. It, was, it, was, it seems logical, right? Give us, show us a sign. Show us that we should follow you. You can just hear the disdain in their voice as they say it. They wanted to control the situation, so what are you going to give me? So Jesus, what did he do? He, obviously, he's not going to do the healing thing again. He just did that five seconds ago. So he answers them with an evil and adulterous generation, demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Let's stop. We're going to stop just in the first phrase of that. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. Adulterous. Kind of an ugly word, right? Not a, not a great word that we want to have describe us. Not a great word for anyone to be described, right? Jesus throws it right back at them. You say you want a sign? Let me tell you about that. He doesn't fit in their box. He does not dance to their tune. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. He knew their heart, and they did not want him. 
they wanted to prove him wrong, discredit him, or they were the crowds, they just wanted him to do cool stuff. They wanted him for what he would give. He calls them adulterous. The book of Hosea is a very interesting book, if you've read that book. It's a, um, Hosea is a prophet. He marries someone that is unfaithful to him over and over, and God uses this as a metaphor to say, this is like Israel. This is what you do. Adultery. It's, no one wants to be described that way, right? God looks at our sin very severely. It is not just a mistake. It is not just a struggle. It's not a habit to be broken. It's the breaking of a vow, the breaking of a covenant that he had with us, and we break it. It's irreparable outside of Christ. It is not something small. Their demand, just asking, oh, oh, Jesus, give us a sign. He's saying that's an act of adultery. You know, I've spoken to several people of other faiths, and there's a lot of things that Christianity has um, the same as other faiths, right? There's things like you should do this or you shouldn't do this, right? A lot of faiths have some of that. None of them say that adultery is a good thing, however. None of them. But I will say, no, no other religion paints God as the faithful husband that we are rebelling against. Nobody says that we are that close to God, that his covenant is that close to us as humans. Other religions say you're God, you're all-powerful, but God says Christian, Christianity and Jesus say, I am your husband. I care about you that much. I'm that close to you. It's astonishing. It's astonishing that the God of the universe would seek that close of a relationship with us. It's unexpected. So in this passage, Jesus calls us to see sin as it really is. He calls us to see it as adultery, us forsaking our relationship with him, turning our back on him to seek something else, something less, something that is that he can give us, but not really him, something different. Now that Jesus has framed the context of this in our relationship with him, let's continue. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Okay, um, so who is this prophet Jonah? Jonah, most of you probably know this story. Jonah was a prophet of Israel, and uh, God called him and said, go to the Ninevites. Now the Ninevites were their sworn enemies the people that were trying to oppress them, that were trying to take over. Uh, in the mind of the Israelites, the Ninevites were like a swear word, right? No, I'm not going. So Jonah says, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. So he gets on a boat, 
and goes to Tarshish, or tries to go to Tarshish, which is in the exact opposite direction. He's not only saying, no, God, I'm not going to do it. He's going to say, I am so willing to not do it. I'm going to pick up, I'm going to leave Israel, and I'm going to go the opposite direction. So Jonah takes off, and God uh, sends a huge storm where the people on the boat freak out, and Jonah knows it's because of him, and he says, fine, throw me overboard. And God has mercy and loves Jonah, so he sends a big fish to swallow him. He spends three days and three nights in there, and then he, you know, the fish vomits him up on shore or something like that. Very gross, but. And then he goes to preach to the, to, to the Ninevites, right? So why is Jesus bringing up this story? He says he will give the sign of Jonah. Now that, thinking of that in that context, I bet they were like, what are you talking about? This makes absolutely no sense. Are you gonna get swallowed by a fish? Is that, is that what's gonna happen next? No. Jesus wasn't really talking to them about that moment. He was talking to them about the future. It wouldn't make sense to the people until later. It wouldn't make sense to us until after the resurrection. Over and over again, Jesus uses the Old Testament to tell us the whole story is about him. It's about him. Jonah is a precursor to Christ. It's a way of showing what Christ will do. It's, a, in, a, in a way, a prophecy about Christ. And Jesus does it over and over again. He does it twice in this little passage. He talks about Jonah here. He talks about the Queen of Sheba or the Queen of the South um, a little bit later. He does it in, uh, let's see, it, it, he talks about in John 2 how he will destroy this temple and rebuild it again in three days. Again, the temple about Jesus, right? He says in John 3.14 that Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so that the Son of Man must be lifted up. In the same way, they, there was a plague and they had to lift up the snake so that everyone would be cured of the plague. The whole Bible talks about Jesus. It is his story of his loving relationship with us how he is the loving father, that or husband that pursues us again and again when we are unfaithful, unfaithful, adulterous, again and again. He uses this over and over, the Passover, the son of David, the heel that will crush the head of the serp serpent, the redeemer, the firstborn, on and on. If you read the Old Testament and you don't see Jesus, you're not reading it. You're not really thinking. He is all over in the Old Testament, and Jesus will not fit into our box asking for signs or anything like that. He's like, I've given you a whole book of precursor to precursor to me over and over and over again. He, Jesus calls us to see his love for us. His love, which is salted and sprinkled through the entire Bible, from the very beginning, from chapter one, giving us a day of rest, through when we sinned, saying that he will kill the serpent, through an Old Testament with a Jewish people that were unfaithful over and over and over again, and now Jesus is on the scene and he is going to do away with the old and bring in the new because he loves us so much. Jesus is throughout, Jesus is 
told about, we're told about through the whole Bible. So back to our situation here, he says the men of Nineveh would stand up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's proclamation and look, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than a prophet of God who was sent to another nation is here now. Who's he lifting up as an example to these Pharisees, those that are, that pursue understand the word that have basically memorized the entire scripture up until this point. He's telling them, who, who's your example in this case? Nineveh, their enemies, the people that actually took them over and ruled over them, and then another group took them over, and then another group. He, he uses them as an example because in that city they repented. So Jesus says, you're adulterous, and then he says, let's look back at the past, which is all about me. And then he says what? Repent. We, Jesus calls us to repent. Last week, Tom shared that the Pharisees looked back to see that Israel had broken the covenant with God. And they were so afraid of doing it again that they created a bunch of rules. So I don't have to touch this. I'm going to take another step this way and make a fence. Now I'm gonna go this way, make another fence. So pretty soon, everyone can't, you can't get close to sinning against God. They were so afraid that that's all they could think of. The problem was, they focused so much on avoiding sin that they forgot their covenant relationship with God. They forgot about him. They made Jesus and the love letter he gave them into a rule book, something to follow. Now, before we judge them, have you done that? Have I done that? Have I taken the things of God that he has given us, like Bible reading or prayer or community, and made them the point instead of him? I have. So many times I have my to-do list I have the things that I want to accomplish and he is the one that I miss. Like, oh, well, I don't really have time. I'm gonna sleep in today. Ah, God, I know I should do this. I should love on these people over here, but I'm really tired. I've had a hard week. It's been tough. I've done things to make myself feel better instead of recognizing the, the very savior that wants to make just be with me. I, uh, I, I bring this up in every sermon, but in, I also am in human resources, right? And I love telling human resources stories. I've got some really good ones, but I often sit with employees that aren't performing in their job, that don't, um, aren't doing very well. Sometimes it's because they can't do the tasks of the job or they don't want to do the tasks of the job. And then, you know, if they don't do the tests and they can't really work there, they can't do that. But that is not the predominant problem. The predominant problem isn't that they don't do their job. It's how they do their job. It's the relationship aspect. You can do your job and be an absolute jerk face to everyone around you. That is the more prevalent problem that I have at my job. They, people who do their job 
but forget all the relationships around them, or they just don't care about the relationships around them. Those are the people that I most often have to deal with in my job. It's so easy to turn our life into a group of tasks. Do this, do this, do that. It's easier. It doesn't have any emotional investment. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't uh, require much. Like, give me, give me what I'm supposed to do, and I'll just do it. How often do we say that to God? God's like, oh, it's not about a list. I want you to spend time with me. I want you to be with me. Revelation 3.20 says, See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Do you hear the relational words there? It doesn't say open the door and then set a, do this particular thing and then do this particular thing. It's like, I, just, just open the door. I want to come in. I want to spend time with you. I want to eat with you. Eating with a person is a relational thing. We could all eat by ourselves, off by ourselves, and, and, and that honestly wouldn't be that much fun. We'd feel very alone. Our God is relational. Come in, eat with all relational words. My question to you, and this is what we're gonna ponder towards the end, do you want the person of God? Do you want Jesus? Or do you just want the stuff he gives? Do, we, do I just want a happy life of ease, without many problems, without difficulties? Or do I want Jesus? Do I want to follow the rules? Or do I want Jesus? Romans 1.22 says, For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal man, four-footed animals and reptiles. It's really easy to look at that passage and think, oh, that's people from a long time ago and they were clearly not very intelligent because they crafted things and then worshiped them. Hmm, who does that sound like? I crafted my Facebook profile. I crafted my social media. I crafted my to-do list. I crafted my hobbies. Hmm. I crafted my forms of entertainment. I picked the shows that I get to watch that I'll spend all my time doing we do the same thing. We do the same thing. At AGC, we will continue to spur one another on to loving God with action. We will train in our faith by engaging in scripture, by praying, silence and solitude, even sometimes fasting or Sabbath rest. All those things are beautiful and good, but we will not, and we will not stop encouraging that but they're not the end. The end of being in this church is not to have a list of things that you do every week or a list of things that you do 
every day or a specific pattern that you need to follow. No. The goal is Jesus. The goal is to have a relationship with Jesus that he keeps calling us to. And what does he say to do? He uses the Ninevites as an example. Repent. Repent. Not just once, not just on Sundays. Our lives should be marked by repentance. I I feel like um, when I'm up here, I say the same things over and over again, so you'll get used to it. But um, Martin Luther posted on the door in Wittenberg, sparking the Reformation, the first, his theses, he had 95. That's way more than I have time to read, but I'll give you the first one. How about we just stop there? When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The whole thing. Not because it's a list, but because it's a turning. It's not a do this or don't do this. It's which direction are you facing? Are you facing Jesus? Are you facing something else? That's what repentance is. It's turning and facing Jesus. Turning back to him, longing for that relationship, setting aside those other things, those other idols that we have. Is that true of us? Is our day full of repentance? If you can't think of the last time that you repented, that you've refocused. Now, I'm not just saying saying I'm sorry. Repentance is not saying I'm sorry. It's refocusing. I was really distracted over here. Oh, yeah, back here. This is the important thing. St. Ignatius of Loyola practiced this by coining a term. You might have heard this term. The term isn't really that important, but the practice is. It's called the prayer of examine. You may find it useful. He said each day to do four things. Replay your day. Think through your day. Rejoice in the great things that God did in your day. Repent of the things that you wear, the times where you turned away from God. And then restart. Restart your day. Oh. Now we could list that as a, just a checklist. But it's, if we're looking at it just as a checklist, we're missing it. We need to turn to him in relationship. That's the goal. The desire is to get close to Jesus. Let's continue our text in verse 42. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. Same phrasing. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. Something, oh look, something greater than Solomon is here. Once again, Jesus is using the relentless stories of the Old Testament to tell us about himself. You can't, he's like, you cannot read it any other way, Pharisees. You might have it memorized, but you've missed the whole point. I am here. Now, the Queen of the South is referenced in 1 Kings 10 and 2 Chronicles 9. It's the queen of some nation in the South. Some, some think it's Ethiopia. Some think it's Yemen. Um, not sure. But she had such a hunger to hear the wisdom of Solomon that she left her country, which in those days, it's not like you get a little plane ride and then you're back by the end of the afternoon, right? It's, it's an ordeal. She left her country to travel very far to see the wisdom of Solomon. First he says for us to repent and then 
in following the Queen of the South, he says, pursue me. Come after me. I'm the source of wisdom. I am the greater source of wisdom. Pursue me. Come after me. Are we pursuing him? Because he will not be replaced with our stuff. He calls us to open the door. He stands and knocks, right? He is not your DoorDash delivery person. He's not knocking for that purpose. Okay, open the door, I'll give you something, and then I'm going to leave. No. He's there to give us himself. You know, the next section of this, I I have really, uh, I struggled with reading it first, but I think it really brings this point home. At verse 43, it says, when an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest, but doesn't find any. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house vacant, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. That's how it will be with this evil generation. I would not want to hear that if I was the person that was just healed of the demon possession, like 10 verses earlier. That would be uh, kind of scary. What's his point? Now, I'm not going to really talk about demons and possession and all of that. That's not the focus of this right now. We're going to focus on the context or the focus of the passage in the context. Remember, Jesus had literally just healed a man, right? And he talks about our mind as a house. How many of you prefer a clean house? Some of you? Okay. I did not. Lindsay had to teach me that thing. I think a a, a spot on the ground is a perfect space for a towel. That's (laughs) my opinion, but I've I've learned that not everyone agrees with that. But the question isn't really um, in this case about whether or not it's clean, right? The demons came back to a house that was clean and they still entered. But so often that is how we treat Jesus. Okay, Jesus, send out the demons. Okay. Now, if you could just keep your distance, Jesus, that would be great. And then what happens? No one's living there, so who's going to come back? The demons and more. Jesus is not our soul, is not our spiritual maid. He's not here to just come in, clean you up a little bit, and say, all right, I'll come back next week. That's sometimes how we treat him. He's not interested in giving us a new self-help routine. Why don't you just read this and then you'll figure it out. I'll give you a few pointers on how to clean up. He is relentlessly committed to a relationship with us. We try so hard. Okay, Jesus, that's a little bit too personal. I don't really want you in that space. He's not a visitor that just comes in and you get to see the dining room. How many of you have just cleaned your dining room and kitchen knowing, oh, I'm having people over, I'm just gonna do that? I think we all have, right? You don't clean the rest of the house. No, Jesus is coming in to live in your house, to live with you, to eat with you, to be with you. 
And this gives us full circle right back from the beginning. Remember the adultery part? We left. We make mistakes all the time, but he is relentless. He is not interested in our set of rules. He is interested in me and you and all of us. He's interested in that relationship. When we make him into a list of rules, we're missing it all. We're treating him like a maid. Sure, come on in. You got 30 minutes and then I'm gonna kick you out because I wanna do something else. Jesus is to be and live with us. Live in our hearts, in our soul. Do you look forward to heaven or do you look forward to Jesus? Do you know him so well that you're like, oh, I can't wait to see his face. I can't wait to give him a hug. Or do you just think of the rules or the amazing heaven that he's gonna give us, and it will be amazing, the house he's gonna make for us, all of that, but we miss the point. Just like the people there who said, Jesus, I don't really want you, I just want what you can give me. I want the next really exciting thing. You know, I want the next Super Bowl, like, you know, what the, the concert in the middle, the halftime thing, right? Something really amazing where the whole ceiling comes off and people paratroop or whatever they do in those things. I didn't watch this year, so I have no... Roller skates, right? It was roller skates this year? Let's, let's perform in a new and different way. Jesus is not like that. He's not gonna just keep upping the ante with more and more and more and more. He wants a relationship. He doesn't want you to crave just what he can do for you. Do you see the heart of our Savior? The way he loves us and pursues us? He sends storms and giant fish to come and get us? I urge you to let him in. I urge you to let him in. Not just ask for his stuff. He wants to be in relationship with you. We have one question this week, just one. It'll be up on the screen. Do you want Jesus or what he can give you? Can we ponder that? I'm gonna pray here. And uh, when I'm done, if you could just come on up and grab the communion elements and come back to your seat, we will continue. But let's pray first. Dear Jesus, I repent, Lord, of looking for other things to make me happy. I repent at looking at all the stuff and the glorious blessings you have given us your exclusion. God, I absolutely treat you like you are my spiritual maid. Oh God, change my heart. Change our hearts. Let our greatest desire be to see and know you, to spend time with you. We can't do that on our own, Lord. We need you. Turn our affections to you, Father. Amen. 
Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Ankeny Gospel. Thank you.